Right, hello and welcome back to the Cine Skinny. It's the podcast from the team behind the Skinny. It's a full house today. It's me, Peter, with Jamie. Hello. Lewis. Hello. And Anna Hi. And it's a very special Cine Skinny this week because we are here with Atmospheric Lighting at Upload Studios in Leith uh, talking all about this year's Glasgow Film Festival, which starts the day this comes out, if I manage to edit this quickly enough, uh, and runs from the 1st until the 12th of March at a variety of venues across central Glasgow, mostly, Jamie. Is that right? It's like yeah. GFT and Cineworld and places of this nature. That's accurate. Of this nature. <laughs> you, know, you know, cinemas, places of this nature. Um, so in this episode, we're going to be talking about a bunch of films playing at GFF, uh, some reviews, some recommendations, some food tips, best mm-hmm. pubs, etc., etc. Uh, but before we start, Jamie Dunn, please do a short introduction to the vibes of this year's Glasgow Film Festival as a bit of place setting. How uh, are the vibes? The, the vibes are really good, I think. Uh, yeah, GFF came back in person last year after a couple of years um, online. And yeah, it's just great to see it back properly with like live events um, back on the docket. Um, there's a lot more guests this year, I think, as well. So it seems like it's almost back to full strength as it was a few years ago. So that's that's really encouraging. You know, it's exciting to see live events like Under the Skin with the BBC Symphony Orchestra performing Michael Levy's score. That's actually, now I think about it, in the West End. That's at Queen Margaret University. So, uh, sorry, not Queen Margaret Union. Uh, so there's some West End venues. But yeah, no, it's, it's, it's doing everything GFF does well. You know, it's got its commitment to women filmmakers, which I think is amazing and a lot of other festivals could probably learn from, you know, so Adura on a Shield's Girls going to open the festival. It's great to have, like, that uh, the kind of local film opening it, but then it's going to finish with uh, Nita Manster's uh, Polite Society, which is really exciting. It's just come from Sundance with like, a real kind of buzz about it. So, yeah, I think, I can't think of that many festivals that uh, open and close with galas from women of colour and about kind of, you know, young women's stories. So that that's really exciting. They also kind of do that with the retrospective as well. You've got Lee Grant retrospective, you've got the Gloria Graham retrospective, which is playing in the mornings and afternoons. Um, you've got an audience award, which is 50-50 men and women. So yeah, they kind of really, you know, put the money where their mouth is in terms of like, you know, showcasing um, female talent. Um, they're also really great at, you know, putting Scottish filmmakers at the front as well. So Adora's film's opening, but you've also got people like James Price, um, his debut features going to be playing you've got like two mark cousins films um you've got things like the documentary cassius x which is uh like stuart cosgrove's um uh well it's not his film it's based on his uh, account of muhammad ali so yeah they really kind of care about scottish film and i think they've shown themselves to be like probably like a really like probably the best launch pad for a lot of kind of uh up-and-coming scottish talent so yeah all vibes are good vibes confirmed good jamie dunn <laughs> Uh, speaking of Lee Grant, by the way, I don't think we've plugged it yet. There's a really, really good interview that Jamie did with Lee Grant. It's so good. Holy shit. I mean, she's, she's, good... I mean she's just like great. So like, it, like, it'd be so easy to edit it to good, good interview. No, it was sexually me. Did you ever, you never found out who she thinks you look like? Yeah, it was really annoying because at the end of the Zoom call, it cut out because like I'd run out of time. And uh, she was just about to tell me that I reminded her of one of her, uh, an actor who she used to work with. So we'll never know who that is. I want, I, want to, I want to assume it's one of the like really handsome ones. You yeah, know, yeah. You could just hit her up. Slide in her DMs. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if she's got Instagram. Maybe she does, actually. I don't know. Hunt what? her down. <laughs> well, if we find out, we will let you know on a later episode. <laughs> but yeah, that uh, interview with Lee Grant was in the February issue of the magazine, but it's on the website just now. So go and read it. It's very good. So we've got four films from the GFF program to talk about. 
and we'll probably just start talking about them now with uh, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, the new film from Daniel Goldhaber, who directed Cam, which is a kind of like innovative film about online sex workers. This new film, you'll never guess what it's about from the title. Uh, so it's about a group of idealistic young people who come together from across America to sabotage an oil pipeline in Texas. Directed by Daniel Goldhaber, but inspired by Andreas Malm's 2021 book, which is like a non-fiction kind of manifesto on the moral and political aspects of sabotage and other forms of direct action as a response to the climate crisis. Uh, this film is like a fictional piece based on the ideas in the book, and it fucking rocks. Here we go. <laughs> Pyro, air horns, the whole lot, this film is great. Now, the thing about this one is as an online lefty, you know, I listen to podcasts. You does do. That mean, does that mean I in enjoy... real life you're not a lefty? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean... An, an online lefty, a, 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 a real life righty. <laughs> you're catfishing the left. Yeah. With tremendous success. No, what I mean is I listen, I listen to podcasts. I enjoy memes. I don't actually do anything, but I am online um <laughs> it's the kind this is the kind of film that i would always like a film with this title and premise i would always be like yes this is great mm -hmm. so we'll come back to like the politics of it in a bit it's actually just a really really good let's get the gang together and do x thriller it's really tense it's really snappily edited it's really well paced the performances are great uh ariella Bera, who co-wrote it and i think produced as well who plays sochi who's like the kind of ostensibly the lead She's brilliant. Jake Wary, great name, really suits the character as Dwayne, who is this guy who lives in like rural Texas in the path of all this development in the oil industry and whose house gets bought out in a kind of eminent domain thing so they can build an oil pipeline through his back garden. He's excellent as just a kind of like slightly downcast but also like incredibly interior guy who tells this kind of ragtag group about like how to basically track an oil pipeline like you're trying to chase a wolf across like a mountain. <laughs> it's great fun. Really big like synthy drones on the score and its politics by thriller standards is a 10 out of 10. It has the courage of its convictions, no spoilers, but it's called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which you expect to happen. Um, <laughs> but the, one of the things that's really interesting about it is its positioning because it sort of places this sabotage plot as being against the system rather than against like an individual baddie. Like, it's not PVP. Like, it's not John Oil Industry being, like, watching the moves of the children. Being, like, <laughs> oh, moving chess pieces on a board to be, like, I'm going to stop them blowing up the pipeline. It's the lads against the system, and it rocks. Anahit, you also watched this. Yeah, I watched it And I believe you also think that this film slaps pretty hard. It does slap pretty hard. Yeah, it's fucking great. Um, Very kind of... I think it's really interesting that it's taking a quite not necessarily conservative but definitely very traditional like Hollywood medium which is like the thriller like it has almost that sort of John Grishamy vibe to it but like good you know um but it's like taking that idea and then doing like a very interesting kind of radical politics with it um I think it's really interesting how it thinks through ideas of terrorism like it uses very explicit language around terrorism and the kind of ethical implications of what that means and like who is really doing the terrorizing in a world of climate crisis, who is really creating danger. Um, and it has like also just a very interesting kind of structure in that 
yeah, like you say, it's this like ragtag team and you're kind of following them as they learn how to blow up a pipeline. Um, but at these really like crucial, like cliffhanger moments, it will suddenly like stop and then it will go back um, and kind of like the almost the origin story of each one. And it reminded me a little bit, and this is like an odd comparison, I think, but a little bit of um, Murder on the Orient Express, which spoilers for Murder on the Orient Express, like the book, um, in that you kind of realize that each of these people has like a very, very personal reason for wanting this thing done. And it's very clever at kind of showing through these individual stories, all of like the myriad ways in which the climate crisis can affect people, which I thought was like very, yeah, very clever in that it's like you say about a system, but about the humans that are affected by the system. Like it's very good at kind of balancing those two things. Um, and then the cast is just sick. Like the cast is so, so good. Like a lot of really, really interesting up and comers. So Sasha Lane, who is no longer really an up and comer, who is just amazing from the likes of American Honey. And um, I went on her Wikipedia to just remember what else she'd been in. And like the first bit is like from American Honey and like Loki. And I was like, she was in Loki for a second. But anyway, she's also from Loki. Um, and well, then- so she was friends as well. She was what? She's, is she not in conversation with friends? Am I getting like? Yes, yeah. she's in conversation with friends. Yeah, she's just like a very, very interesting actress. I like her a lot. Um, and then, oh yeah, she was also in The Miseducation of Cameron Post, which then one of the other guys in this, whose name I've forgotten because that's oh, yeah, how Forrest, I am. Forrest Good, good, good Luck. Yeah, who's this like um, Native American indigenous um, actor. And he was also in The Miseducation of Cameron Post and he's also in this. And so then you have like this really interesting kind of like, indigenous grounding behind like kind of climate it's just like so good Jamie Lawson Jamie Lawson rather who was in the Batman as the mayor and was also in like Farewell and more just like a really really good cast just feels very like all of these people are going to go big places and this has like captured them in a very like crystallized them in a very particular moment in time um yeah it's so sick I had such a great time <laughs> It is really, really good. And we want to talk about uh, strange things to be reminded of when watching this film. It reminded me a bit of The Running Man, 1980s Arnold Schwarzenegger banger. <laughs> partly because of the synthy score and partly because the font is really similar right at the start. So that was what initially got me onto The Running Man. But I think the thing that's interesting is they're both films that place you from the off, like full square behind people who have been painted as bad by a corrupt society and are here to like mess with the set dressing, basically. It's, the, it's just that this time they're a bunch of normal studenty lads rather than Arnold Schwarzenegger in a sick Adidas jumpsuit. <laughs> um, Jamie, what did you think of this film? Did it make I just, you want to do things that for legal reasons you would have to disavow saying that you want to do? <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I'm ready to blow up everything now. I'm, 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 I'm in there. Like, I, I think I could actually do it now as well. The film is so detailed about how to do this. I, I reckon I could put together a little nifty bomb right now and let's let's go guys i'm i'm ready um yeah the filmmaking is just properly great it's shot in 16 uh, mil it looks really grainy and cool uh really kinetic the score like you say peter is amazing what i like is it doesn't paint these kids as angels either they're, they're kind of reckless and foolhardy uh and you know they get drunk on the night before the big uh <laughs> mission and like they're all hung over and it's like what are you doing guys and one of the two of them start to have sex when they're like in the middle of the mission as well that was like, iconic uh, behavior yeah it's like i love it like they're, they're like uh but the film is just so good at like making you empathize empathize with them and i love the flashbacks and showing you how, how each of them have the, uh, have a story and why they're why they're here but yeah it's it's just great filmmaking you know like uh, it reminded me of 
actually the safties a little bit like in terms mm. of the kind of like pulsating score and kind of the propulsion of it but then you're like you're right has these amazing cliffhangers where it's like oh my god what's gonna happen the kid has been blown up is he gonna die uh, and then it takes you back and tells you like a, a character story yeah really really great um and 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 you're right the politics are like if forceful it's like direct it's saying this is important you know it's like it's quite rare to see this kind of film actually like even even good films along this lines like like Keller Eckhart's film um Night Moves you know it dealt with similar ideas but it went it went into kind of melodramatic areas and this doesn't it's just really direct it's almost like a documentary or something it's like really forceful it's got its eye on the ball great great work one thing I have seen what I would call uh what's the best way to put this Killjoys on Letterboxd saying is that it doesn't necessarily paint the most accurate reflection of the organisational work required to put something like this together and what I would say to that is don't be such a nerd like <laughs> this is like a kind of slightly pulpy thriller that has good and interesting politics and good and interesting storytelling in it and I think it's really important especially in the days of one of the main contenders for the first ministership of the country going on the telly and saying that they're against net zero and wanting to protect North Sea mm-hmm. oil jobs. It's good to have a film that challenges that viewpoint, but that is also funny and good. Yeah. Like, not everything has to be vegetables. Yeah. You're allowed to have a piece of cake from now, now every now and then. And I thought it also did say something quite interesting about how, like, these organising systems work. Not so much in, like, you say, the kind of boring, like, admin aspects of it, but there is that bit with, like, Sochi's kind of origin, where she's in this group and they're just talking about, like, divestment and blah, blah, blah. And I think how, like, a reflection of how a lot of climate activism does work, which is, like, you know, XR being stupid and ineffectual and she's like no we need to like do something and I think it is quite representative of that element of climate activism which is maybe it is just too much people sitting around talking about things and not enough people doing things and I say this is someone who does not do things so it's not even like judgmental but I just think it is like a it's good at kind of pointing that out and thinking about that dynamic. And nobody ever says about the Ocean's Eleven lot that they could have found some other way to make all their money. Yeah, or that heisting is actually just a lot of, like, checking your emails, which I'm sure it is. Yeah. There must be a lot of emails. I'm sure that before they did that big gunfight in Heat, they had so many meetings about it, but I'm not interested in hearing about it, frankly. So, How to Blow Up a Pipeline rocks. It's great. You should go and see it. And thankfully, there are many opportunities to do so. So, it's on on Thursday the 2nd of March at 6pm and Friday the 3rd of March at 3.15pm at the GFT as part of the Glasgow Film Festival. But as part of GFT's, like, kind of, we are not just in Glasgow, you know, thing, it's also on at the Cameo in Edinburgh, DCA in Dundee, and Eden Court in Inverness on Friday the 3rd at 8.30pm. And it's also on at the MacRobber in Stirling on Monday the 6th, which I think is also at 8.30, possibly at 8 o'clock. There are no screenings in the northeast. I wonder why that is. <laughs> But there you go. What's so, in the northeast? Oil. Oh, oil. Oh. <laughs> oil. <laughs> I see. That's okay. You want some little Elgin lad getting any ideas? <laughs> Pipeline, eh? <laughs> so next up is a film that Lewis has picked out the program for a podcast all about how much we like movies. It's very fitting. It's called I Like Movies. <laughs> Set in a small town in Canada in 2003, socially inept cinephile Lawrence dreams of studying film at NYU and he gets a job at a local video shop in order to raise the money he needs for tuition. His single-mindedness causes a lot of chaos and the film's uh, kind of title comes from the dialogue point where someone, Lewis, says that they should go to a party and the response is, no, I like movies. 
There is also a Leonardo DiCaprio point at screen name of film comes on screen thing in How to Blow Up a Pipeline, but I don't want to ruin it because <laughs> it is actually hilarious. But I like movies. Lewis, what did you think? Well, when we first sort of brought this up, uh, I think we were in the office and you'd compared it to Funny Pages, which is a film that we covered on the podcast around the middle of last year. And there are simil- like similarities between these two films. Um, both depict quite dysfunctional families in small towns in the middle of like nowhere North America during the early 2000s. So it's part of like a general uh, increasing interest in the early 2000s as a historical period that has you know, that resonates with the present day, but has distinct differences. Um, And both protagonists are quite irate kids with an all-consuming passion for a particular niche. So in Funny Pages, it was comics, and in I Like Movies, it was movies. Um, So I liked Funny Pages, and it was uh, a strange sort of black comedy where this kid's, like, quest for uh, artistic greatness just created so much chaos and he made everything worse and worse and worse until the very point of the film was lost but I think what makes I Like Movies a step up is that that sort of like underlying tragedy of an all-consuming passion is depicted with a much more crushing sympathy. Lawrence, who's the main character, struggles in his media class despite knowing everything there is to know about films. He can't bring himself to complete assignments that don't excite him. He instead submits these like really weird crummy but very energetic SNL style skits with his best friend Matt. Um, he gets this job at the video rental store, but refuses to try and sell customers like the latest Shrek DVD <laughs> because he like wants to discuss the works of Stanley Kubrick. And um, he's got no social skills. He's very disrespectful to his single mother. He calls Matt a placeholder friend until he gets into NYU film school, and. That sort of brings it into the choice in setting. The time period that it's set in, 2003, has a lot of the same problems that bother North America today, like suburbs and small towns that are really cut off, unwalkable, and quite sort of like isolating and dehumanizing. Um, It can be really hard to make it in these environments when you're neurodivergent or struggle with mental illness. But 2003 was a long time before people started having casual conversations about neurodivergence and mental illness, before like the nomenclature that we use to navigate these issues entered the everyday lexicon. So the film is just this 100 minute exploration into these sort of states of being without leaning, completely incapable of using our modern labels. And it is a very good moving and realistic depiction. So, you know, the back to funny pages, the, protect, the protagonist of that was like quite a sheltered kid who is very disconnected from reality. Whereas like Lawrence faces things that I think audiences will find achingly familiar, like, uh, there's a scene where he's 40 minutes late for his shift at the video store and he has to get changed in the staff room into this like garish uh, retail uniform whilst having a panic attack. And it's the kind of social realism that was absent in Funny Pages. And the truth is that Lawrence is difficult to be around, right? He's like disrespectful to everyone. He sort of like destroys his relationships with everyone. Um, And in spite of that, the film is still interwoven with these scenes where you're really quite sympathetic towards them. Um, it shows that like, no matter how unempathetic people can be, they're still deserving of sympathy. It's like this post-coming-of-age film, so I think that it's far more similar to Lady Bird, or the half of it, um, the film that was on Netflix a few years ago, because it's sort of about characters who learn their lessons too late, like who, you know, their teenage years become disasters, and it despite that like life just goes on and you meet new people and it gives quite concrete lessons in how to get past it so it's um really interesting really moving sad in the sense that you know everything is tragic but quite uplifting in that that doesn't mean that life itself is tragic um very good film 
Yeah, this one took me a bit by surprise because I think when it starts, you do think that you're watching like Superbad or like some other kind of less sophisticated American teen movie because the kid is obnoxious. The kid is a little shit and he is horrible <laughs> to everyone. But I think it's like, you know, it's a, it's a film about, you know, why somebody becomes a little weirdo. It's like because like he is isolated because he's went through something really horrible. And I think, and I can't think of a US indie film that would actually deal with such a spiky subject you know and i don't want to like give away what his problem is but like yeah it's, it's about grief it's about depression it's about yeah just just the kind of spikier things of being a teenager that the actually teen films don't often get, get into you know so i so i really appreciate that and you can probably tell that like it's from canada it's, it's, it's a bit interesting those kind of weirder um yeah harder to um, you know, less fun topics. You know, so so it manages to be actually really funny. Like I think it is a funny film. Like this kid, um, when he gets this job at the video store, he do, does things like uh, he'll, he'll recommend Todd Salon's Happiness to this couple who's looking for like a romantic comedy for the weekend, <laughs> or, or or like there's a running gag about how his best friend, who who uh, Lauren says is like a chronic masturbator, has like stolen. Um, wild things, yeah. and, and, he, and he's like he's refusing to pay back the fee, the fine, you know. So it's, it's like funny running gags about this kind of area, uh, this kind of era, but it's also kind of a really loving look back at like video stores and how they were actually safe havens for sort of people who didn't fit into society, you know. That's so I feel like he is escaping into movies because you know he's just he isn't fitting in, and I think it'll be like a really toe calling film for a lot of people because it is it does go into a kind of bit of the the toxicity around cinephilia, you know, this kid just relates to everyone through movies and it's like, he judges people on their worth, you know, what they like. So if you don't like Stanley Kubrick, you don't know um, the films of Paul Thomas Anderson, he still seems to think you're less, which I think a lot of people, I mean, I certainly, when I was a kid, <laughs> I was a bit like this. Yeah, I, I recognise a lot of me in this little, little weirdo, you know? So I think Andy, <laughs> who's, Andy who's going to GFF will probably see, uh, and likes movies and, and uh, doesn't like movies, loves movies, is, is obsessed with movies, might see a bit of himself in Lawrence and realise that actually it's not a healthy way to be. So yeah, the film was really refreshing in that way. I thought it, I thought it was really good. Uh, maybe Napoleon Dynamite would be a good sort of touchstone for me. You know, it's this obnoxious kid who you kind of hate at first, but actually you, you begin to love, you know, like a, you, you just, he's just quite endearing. And, and like that film, it's sort of a bit deeper than it seems initially. So yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun, really winning. It looks great. It's shot in kind of 4-3 aspect ratio. The framing really pops. Um, it's full of kind of cine-literate jokes, like I said. So yeah, kind of winning yeah, movie. Yeah, I think like the whole thing about like the kid being incredibly, incredibly obnoxious, but the film is not an obnoxious film to watch. Like I think most people will enjoy it. And I think part of that is that you're right, it explores the toxicity behind cinephilia and that he is this quite like irate film bro, but nobody takes it lying down. Like every character, even those who don't show up for very long, like have a great moment where they get to sort of stand up for themselves and sort of make a statement on who they are. So um, even this sort of like B plot about his best friend that he's splitting up with because his best friend wants to bring um, the girl he has a crush on as an editor into the project they're making. Uh, the second he, like, Lawrence is very, like, dismissive and slightly sexist, she just lists all these, like, great famous female editors who have worked on, you know, these famous masterpiece films. Um, so, you know, it's quite heartwarming in, in that regard and, that, like, there's no character who's kind of left out in the cold, really. Everyone has a a backstory that, you know, some vary in terms of just how, like, tragic they are, but they all get a real chance to share them. So, yeah, really, I think that, uh, uh, like, uh, it's got the uh, nominated for the Audience Award, is that right? 
Yes, this is yeah. the point. So I think that like it'll I think that it'll show like quite popularly with audiences, especially now that like annoying film bros are kind of like a the butt of a joke on the internet. That's really annoying. Like not to but that whole discourse is like really frustrating. Just to say. <laughs> I I don't know know what sh- there's like a new there was like an article in the guardian or something that was like oh all of these like film bros blah 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 and it was like citing film broy films as being like this kind of radical filipino director who makes like three and it was basically like if a film the whole article was like if a film is three hours that's a film bro film like oh who has the time who has it's just like pretentious men on the internet telling you and it's like that's all film like that's radical for like shut yeah, the like fuck up immediately started misinterpreting like sort of annoying kids who preach about how Stanley Kubrick is the greatest director of all time to, like, anyone who has, uh, like, a sort of, you know, eclectic passion for different types of cinema yeah. is a film bro. Um, and that what that usually so means is, like, foreign language films yeah. or something yeah, like yeah, that, films yeah, from yeah. other countries that are... Like, God forbid. But uh, this, I think is pertinent to that discussion in that, like, this kid is annoying. <laughs> he is unpleasant and is quite toxic. So we like to hate him. You also can't write an article in a newspaper complaining that other people are pretentious. So <laughs> you, just, you just can't do it. I'm not going to allow it. I'm just on a base level. Coming yeah. from this team of people who write a newspaper. Yeah, from the four of us on our podcast, wags finger in your direction. Oh, but we are very annoying. Oh, exactly. We know that, We're very we? pretentious. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But we at least are self-aware enough to admit it. Yes. Um, I also like to see the fact that uh, no young person who behaves, no young character who behaves in an unpleasant way will ever be let off by the Cine Skinny podcast. <laughs> we will find you. We will drag you. Just antagonism towards children. Children, watch out. <laughs> um, so, I Like Movies is on Wednesday the 8th of May, uh, Wednesday the 8th of March, sorry, at quarter past six, and Thursday the 9th at quarter past three, both at Cineworld on Renfrew Street in Glasgow. Like uh, Lewis said, it's also up for the Audience Award, which is voted for by the audience of GFF. Um, so yeah, it's on in the 8th and the 9th. Go and catch it. I like movies. Lovely stuff. Right, third for today is Ramona, film set in Madrid in what is roughly speaking the modern day, although most of the film is in black and white, so it is slightly hard to tell. You have to use context clues and things of this nature to work it out. We follow Ona, who is a young woman in her 30s who's been living in London for the past few years with her chef husband, Nico. But now she's returned to Madrid with dreams of becoming an actor. Things get a bit confusing for her relationship and career when she spends an afternoon day drinking and flirting with a guy called Bruno in this like kind of Madrid bar. And she goes for an audition the next day. And it turns out, who'd have thunk it? Bruno, director of the film... Love triangle, gong sounds, and we're off. Jamie, you picked this one out. Why did you pick it, and what did you think of it? Well, first of all, it's described in the programme as a mix of uh, French New Wave and the films of Greta Gerberg, so that instantly drew me in. Um, it's also playing in the Viva El Cina Espanol strand, which is like the Spanish strand, which is like celebrating kind of contemporary Spanish cinema, so I thought it'd be nice to dip my toe in there. Um, and yeah, I thought this was an absolute delight. It was like a real kind of espresso hit of a movie, really vibrant, witty. I thought it's um, it's sent on in a really amazing performance from Lourdes uh, Fernandez, who plays Ona. Um, she's this kind of mercurial young woman who's you know trying to choose between two men, and she's just like endlessly charismatic. I could really watch her do anything. She's just yeah, really cool, really funny. <laughs> um, 
And uh, yeah, it's just a really kind of unpredictable performance. You know, never quite knew where she was going to go next. Uh, you know, really vibrant. Um, I would say maybe she's better than the, the, the character because the character's a bit of a cliche. You know, we, we, I think we've seen quite a few films recently about women in their late 20s or early 30s who are having a bit of a crisis. So Frances Ha is an obvious example, but there's also kind of Peter's, Peter, uh, Peter Mackie Burns' Daphne from a few years ago. Um there's uh, like a, so many French films like along the same like uh, uh, Jeune Femme, uh, Annes in Love from the last couple of years ago, and then last year uh, a film that we all kind of liked in the podcast was uh, the Norwegian film, Norwegian film, uh, the worst person in the world, which this like shares a lot of sim- similarities, especially in the structure. It uses a kind of like novelistic structure and chapters as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Andrea Bagney, the director, has found kind of new wrinkles for this story as well. I think part of the freshness comes from the setting. Um, I think Madrid is an amazing city with a kind of wonderful, kind of vibrant, uh, vibrant atmosphere. Um, but it's also a kind of edgy city. You know, it's a city where, like, you know, there's a lot of crime and violence as well. So, like, so the flats where Ona live, uh, Ona and Nico live, her husband. Um, it's this kind of cool and trendy area of Madrid, but they also have squatters who are on the floors below. There's like drug addicts in the stairwell. There's a rapist on the prowl. So like Ona like feels nervous about this place, but Nico likes it because it's cheap and cool. So it's like, <laughs> so it's like I think it's like kind of honest about like cities, you know, like like sometimes like romantic comedies make everything look a bit sort of sunny and beautiful. And I think this has that sunny, beautiful vibe but it's also like has some edgy parts so it kind of reminded me a bit of like Adam Almodovar uh, films in it that way mm. especially there's a joke as well like it's like we're living in an early Almodovar film because we've got these junkies and prostitutes kicking around so that's like that's kind of like uh, the vibe um, which, which is a bit fre- quite fresh I think um, I also love like the opening scene it's like just fantastic it's like like you say Peter it's, it's Ona meets Bruno in this kind of like little dinky Madrid cafe and they're like they just start talking and uh drinking and having tapas and just like it's just a really smart funny script and it's just really nice to watch like really charismatic beautiful people like chat and hit it off on screen you know that that's kind of vibe but, but what happens at the end of that scene is bruno says he loves her which is a kind of thing that happens in movies you know people fall in love instantly and we kind of like accepted that as a kind of movie cliche but i think this film is kind of deconstructing that a little bit it's trying to kind of um work with those ideas um and explodes it, you know, over 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 ninety minutes. Um, that opening scene is great. There's also a, a, an amazing um, audition scene where Ona performs two monologues, one dramatic and one comic. And she starts by saying, "Okay, I'm going to do my first comic monologue from uh, sorry, my first dramatic uh, monologue, and it's from Annie Hall." And Bruno's like, "Hold on a minute, Annie Hall's a comedy." And then then Ona uh, goes on to like, explain, "Actually, no, it's not at all. Woody Allen's character's." Uh, like a controlling psychopath um you know and, and, and she gives this kind of like really dark interpretation and then she goes on to do before sunset but make that a co- like a really kind of like dark comedy about this woman who kind of gave up her life while this man went uh you know this man she met on while interviewing has just went on with his life and wrote a book and got married so it's like so it's a film that's clearly knows what's went before and the films that, that it's influenced by but it's kind of knows the cliches as well so it kind of avoids them uh, so yeah it's a kind of semi literate film uh it's 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 really kind of vibrant, fun. Uh, yeah, I I I had a really good time watching this. I also watched this, and I think I probably had a pretty, a pretty good time as well. I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you. I think it is quite a slight film, and it really does wear its influences on its sleeve. I think if you saw Worst Person in the World and liked that, you will like this because they are actually quite similar in terms of like their structure, 
they both use, like you say, the kind of like chaptered structure, but they are similar in terms of like the way that they think about sort of like love triangles and different aspects of people's lives becoming like tangled up in each other. Um, I think it's, it is quite a short film as well. It's actually, it's more like kind of 75, 80 minutes than an hour and a half. So it feels like it has this initial explosion of the kind of meet cute in the bar between these two people. And then it's sort of like, it's expanding from there, but there isn't necessarily a whole load of places for it to go. But at the same time, it's quite like, it has a kind of breezy tone for a lot of it, but is able to pull in these quite emotional moments. There's some stuff around Ona's like family past that's actually really well dealt with because it just sort of creeps in, in the way that these kind of things do at points when you as the person saying it aren't necessarily expecting it. Um, I think cinematography is great. I will always respect a film that shows how small the average city centre flat is. There's a scene <laughs> where uh, Ona and... Uh, what's his name? Nico. Nico, thank you, are making dinner in this galley kitchen on either side, on these like benches at either side. And then Nico just goes to the toilet, which is just off the kitchen, but he's just continuing the conversation from the toilet while they're still making dinner. <laughs> And this is the kind of realism that I am here to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's short, it's sweet, it looks great, it's nice and charismatic. I think you'll probably at the very least like it. And you can't say fairer than that for a new film <laughs> that you nice. had never heard of until about five minutes ago. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, what you want. Yeah, I think, I think you're right that maybe it isn't quite as like groundbreaking a film in terms of its visuals. It's not as virtuosic as something like Worst Person in the World. But I actually think... The characters may be more interesting. I think the biggest flaw for me about Worst Person in the World was the character just, things happened to her. You know, she was quite passive. Um, but I think, I like I like Ona because she's like a kind of force of nature, you know, and she has female friends. She goes she goes off uh, and like rants at the, these men who are like driving her crazy. You know, she, she's, she's, she's a bit more fiery, you know, a bit more kind of like to her, I think, and a kind of a bit more of a spiky character. So yeah, I, I appreciated how it's good. Like it gives her a bit of, a, bit more dimension than I think that film gave its main character. But um but yeah I think if you I think if you like that film you will like this. I, I think there's lots to like yeah like you say Peter it looks great. It's like it's got that kind of like boxy look. And I love when it um when it goes into the audition scenes it bursts into this kind of vibrant colour, you know, and it's like uh, these kind of reds and it just kind of changes the atmosphere and you can actually it's actually quite hard to show good acting on screen but you know she's kind of gripping as a performer. Um, her character, sort of the, act, the actor playing the character is actually a good actor, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? No. No. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very hard to portray, it's very hard to, hard to be an actor who's portraying an actor. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same so way. So her acting that she's acting is good. Yes. Okay. You know, it's like she switches from being this kind of nervy um, woman who doesn't quite know what she's doing with her life to be actually a really good performer. Mm. Um, so, yeah, the, I, I loved all that. I loved those scenes. Um, Thumbs up for me. Cute. So Ramona is on on Tuesday the 7th at 9pm and on Wednesday the 8th at 1.15pm. Both at GFT. It's also on the Audience Award list. And yeah, Ramona, very good. Go and check it out. And finally, for the main reviews from GFF, Skin Deep, which is the debut feature from Alex Shad, it follows Layla and Tristan, who are kind of on a ferry to a remote island. They have there's a kind of evening gathering of the residents, which includes a raffle in which each number selected is held by a couple. Couples are then kind of introduced and given the gift of experiencing the world in each other's bodies, 
GFF program says highly original and hugely entertaining. And I turn to my colleague Annie Berries for her thoughts on Skin Deep. Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I uh, didn't like this. Um, sorry to the film and to GFF. Um, yeah, it's just, it is like kind of a weird film tonally, I think. Because it has like this sort of body swap element to it that I think is meant to maybe be positioned as like a little bit quirky, a little bit kind of almost transcendental, like let's think outside the box, blah, blah, blah. But like honestly watching it, it reminded me of the scene in Get Out where they're like doing the raffle thing for the, which is just like deeply fucked up. And then it also has like very midsummer vibes. And I think the film itself is kind of almost leading it into that in that the music is quite tense and it's just like weird. Like I just felt weird <laughs> watching it, but then it never really follows through on this horror premise. So you're just given this kind of setup that's deeply uncomfortable. And then it goes on to like think about relationships and not really think about any of the sort of ethical or like whatever implications of that at all, which I just thought was a bit like, tonally it just didn't really work. For me, it felt like a bit of a mess. Um, I wasn't really also sure what it was trying to say. Um, I think, yeah potentially what it was kind of going for because you have these couples originally like the two couples just like swap with each other so they're still in couples but they're in the other couple's body if that makes sense but then after a while they kind of start swapping like just one person or like with other people and so it just becomes like a lot more entangled um and I think a lot of what it's going for is this idea of like, what does it mean to be in a gendered body? What does it mean to kind of be embodied? But it felt very surface level. And I think it felt like it was being more provocative than it was. Because there was a point where, like, the boyfriend of the couple is then, like, making out with a girl, but she's in a man's body. And I think you were meant to be, like, wow, like, what is he thinking? And it's, like, I mean, like, men fuck men all the time. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, is that this interesting? Um, and I don't know. It just felt a little bit. I didn't really get it. Um I think the central woman's storyline, I think her name is Layla. So Layla interested in like the main couple because she is the one that's like the propulsive force in it that she keeps wanting to swap and she's clearly just very unhappy and she needs this like for like the Menti H essentially. But the film never really kind of goes into why she's so discomforted within her own body. Why does it help her so much to be in someone else's? Like it kind of touches on these ideas but it doesn't entirely follow them through. Um, I will say the performances are really good and they would have to be in a film like this because um, obviously you're being different people all the time and especially the boyfriend Tristan was very very good at switching from like very sweet like little soft boy to suddenly like this complete asshole when that complete asshole's like spirit is in his body and I thought that was quite smart um, but yeah just, just the whole time I was watching it I was like this just feels like if I don't know, like fucking SNL or something made a skit about like German films. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It felt like the cliches of that sort of like what we imagine bad European like continental filmmaking to be, which it actually isn't most of the time. It like not at all, but then this was. Um, and so I just, I couldn't, yeah, I didn't like it. Yeah, Sorry. I, I feel I, like I've offended the whole of Germany. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> not until the very end, yeah. but you just like, add another thing. <laughs> it is sort of, um, 
what is it, throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. It has so much that it's firing off all at once. And when I was going in, I, I knew nothing about this film. So when I sort of realized, like, oh, it's about these young couples who go to this hippy-dippy island to do a body swap with other couples, I was like, okay, so this is going to be, like, some sort of sexy drug trip. But then it starts making all these wild points all over the place about, like, relationships with the physical world and how your body fits into it and your brain chemistry. And some of it, I think, is actually quite interesting and made me, like, stop and dwell on it. And some of it was just incoherent babbling. So it was like a sexy drug trip, really. Like, it's (laughs) served the purpose in the end of what it meant to do. Um, You know, but I think that it does its sort of premise, interestingly, in that, yeah, like it does kind of present the inhibiting of a body as a human sense. So if Mm. you were to swap into another body, everything would be new and it would be like this euphoric, blissful reacquaintancing with the the idea of sensation itself. Like they're running around like smelling trees or whatever because it's for the very first time they've got new nostrils. Mm. Um, But then you've kind of got the flip side, which is that when you swap into another body, it's a totally different brain chemistry that you're working with, or hormonal balance, which sort of means that your perspective on life and whether or not you're happy is constrained to your body, which just feels like very bleakly sort of essentialist. Yeah. Um, But it, it is like, I don't know, got some things going on. And, and it, yeah, it's just sort of like it will definitely... There, there will be points where you're like, I can sort of see what they were doing, but I don't think that they had like a clear enough thesis all by itself. But it did seem more like a an attempt to kind of use what was sort of freaky and cool about Europe in cinema right now, i.e. Midsummer, sort of like <laughs> weird, culty, distant, um, who have access to sci-fi technology or ancient spells or whatever. But like make it mumblecore. Make it mumblecore. Well, yeah, like... um sort of use that to very clearly explore, I don't know if it was the director or the writer or whatever, very clearly explore, like, their own quite fleeting thoughts on bodies and, like, what we would do if if given the opportunity to swap between them. And then, you know, the performances, you're right, are fantastic. Uh, they, they clearly just, like, it feels a little bit improvisational to me, but still very well mastered in the sense that it's quite easy to forget that this character that these are in fact actors who are just playing it differently than they were 10 minutes ago and not that in fact there has been like an actual effect or a change Mm. that has like brought one character into the body of another. It's very convincing, um, but yeah, I don't think that it, I think that it sort of pales in comparison to uh, more recent films that use these settings Mm. in, in much more like, I don't know, pointed ways with very specific things they want to talk about. This feels a little bit jazzier. It feels a little bit more sort of improvisational. Let's see what happens. Yeah. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. It's quite film studenty, I think, in that way. I will say the most haiku relatable part <laughs> is when uh, Layla ends up in like a guy's body and she just can't stop wanking. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a deeply horny really... film. It's the thing where it's like, oh, so they're going to be like, why is that relatable? Because <laughs> <laughs> I think if you were like in another gendered body, isn't that what you would do? If I I'm, were, I'm not, yeah, I yeah, probably. <laughs> it's what all the characters do. If I were in a body they, with a penis, I that is the they, I would. That is the one thing I would do. And then immediately, just everyone becomes <laughs> super horny, and. Yeah. 
like that it's kind of one of the weaker points as well is that the kind of conflict of the relationship the central relationship of our protagonists is that you know um the main guy just like isn't that into it like yeah. clearly just has been talked into doing this and doesn't really have his own reasons for doing it it's a thing where we're expected to kind of I don't know, feel like there's a lot of conflict happening in this relationship and that they've got to fight to keep together. But it doesn't really give us a strong reason for why they're together in the first place. It just seems like they want vastly different things, i.e. Yeah. playing about with it. Yeah, like, baby, like, maybe just, like, break up. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't think you need to do all of this. You're in your late 20s. I think the relationship has run its course, you know? But people will do things for love, clearly. <laughs> so anyway, skin deep songs. <laughs> On Saturday the 4th of March at quarter past six and Sunday the 5th of March at 3.45 at Cineworld on Renfrew Street in Glasgow. Loved Annie just doing the Hannibal <laughs> Burris why are you all booing me? You know I'm right, bit. <laughs> no, but really, if you were in like a body with different gentle parts that you currently have, isn't that the first thing? Well, what else would you I was do, actually thinking. I'm actually thinking of other body swap films where it's like that's actually quite refreshing because usually what happens in those things is the boys like ooh I've got boobs like and, and then the girls like oh I'm disgusted I've got an erection so that is actually quite a nice yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but that is like uh, that is what you would you know yeah so that's one in the plus column for skin deep there we go <laughs> <laughs> thinking outside the box <laughs> now to kind of give you some more suggestions can't vouch for all of these to the same extent because certainly for mine I haven't seen them but we've had more of a dig through the programme. Find some other stuff from directors we like, premises we think are good, films that might be worth going to watch, or potentially, Jamie, events that might be worth going to, question mark? He said, reading your notes and then waiting for you to start talking. <laughs> yeah, well, like, well, as we said earlier, it's really cool that um, uh, JFF can do events this year, because, like, obviously, COVID's calmed down. So um, I'm kind of pretty excited for the film Band, this ex uh, Icelandic film. It's a documentary following the kind of misfortunes of this Icelandic female punk collective called The Post performance blues band um uh, that's going to be screening on the 9th of march at the cca but after that screening you can go across the road to nice and sleazy's where um where if you take your ticket you can uh, go along to a night of performance from local female uh, and non-binary bands um and also headlining the night will be the actual icelandic post uh, performance blues band because they've got a flip they've been flown over from Reykjavik for the screening and they're going to be playing and it's going to be really fun and cool and yeah that's the kind of thing that GFT are really good at these kind of nights where like they, they, they mix music and film and like so many like great nights I've had at GFF is when like these kind of like breakout things I remember when um uh uh oh god I forgot her name now <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Buckley uh, from uh, is that a name? Oh, yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesse Buckley from Wild Rose. Yeah, Wild Rose. Yeah. So mm. after Wild Rose, what happened is Jesse Buckley just like turned up at uh, the Grand Old Opry and like did some songs. You know, really. So, like, yeah. So like That's things so like that. Sweet. So this is the thing that um, JFF do a lot. They, they, they kind of mix film and music really well and make it really cool and fun. So yeah, if you've got a ticket for band, I would say shoot across the road to Nice and Sealsy and have a good time. Uh, at the other end of the scale, I would also say make sure to go to some of the morning uh, uh, retrospectives because uh, they're always brilliant. They're every day at kind of half ten uh, on the GFF big screen. They're absolutely free. Um, and there's always kind of an amazing intro from Alan Hunter. And they're just like a wonderful mix of uh, classic ho Hollywood movies. So you've got things like Roman Holiday and It Happened One Night and Them Louise are playing. But there's also a few kind of 
like really great art house films. So Agnes Varda's Vagabond is playing. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard's uh, Pierre, Le, uh, Pierre Le Fou is also playing. Um, and there's also a film in there that I haven't even heard of. Like, a, like a, this film just totally blindsided me. A, a film called Julia. I don't know if you know this film. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a Fred... Uh, oh, what's it called? A Fred Zimmerman film. Um, it stars Jane Fonda and Vanessa Redgrave. It's got an early performance from uh, Meryl Streep Ooh. as well. Um, so I'm going to try and get on to that. Um, so yeah, something for everyone. Uh, uh, I'm also looking forward to the new film from Carol Morley. It's a typist artist pirate king. Uh, Carol Morley is, all, I think, a really interesting filmmaker who never makes the same film twice. She's always like uh, so a surprise, you know? So like, um, like I think she's most famous, I think, for Dreams of a Life, the documentary she made a few years ago, but she's made sort of The Falling, which is a really weird, dreamy film, which I think is excellent um, and sort of really underrated. Then she made a really kind of, I think quite bad film, um, like an adaptation of Martin Amos's, um film. It's like a kind of thriller called Out the Blue. But she's a, a real surprise. And this one is actually, I've heard, is uh, like her back to her best. It's a film about this um, kind of underground artist, avant-garde artist called Andre Amos. Um, and it's about an imagined road movie she might have take, taken with her psychiatric nurse. Um, Audrey had, had schizophrenia and it's like imagines the road trip she might have taken to kind of try and sort of, uh, I don't know, look back at her past and sort of explore her work. So yeah, it looks really interesting. Uh, Kim, Kelly McDonald um, is in it. Uh, uh, so is Monica Dolan. They're both going to be at the screening, I think. Um, and yeah, Carol Morley, always a surprise. So go and see her stuff. Typist Artist Pirate King's on on the 8th and the 9th at the GFT. And the morning retrospectives are every morning throughout the festival. I think you have to go and queue to get your tickets beforehand. Yeah, um, and you have to queue because people do turn up. So I don't think they ever sell out because it's in the biggest screen, but you will get like like 300 people turn up for like a, a weird film from the 1960s. So get there early if you want a good seat. Festival magic, it lives on. Uh, Lewis, what were your picks from the additional stuff in the program that we didn't have time to watch? Uh, yeah, I mean, like there's some that... Um, you will mention, and some that I've seen that James mentioned, like I've, I've, I've wanted to see Type of Artist Pirate King since I first saw the name of it because it's such a like fun and pretty name and then it just sounds really interesting as well. But um, other than that, I really want to see The Origin, which is this sort of um, horror thriller set in the Neolithic Highlands of Scotland about like a Stone Age tribe who are like trying to find a new place to settle um, and they're being hunted by something mysterious. Uh, we did an interview with the director, Andrew Cumming. You did the, the interview yep. um, in this month's magazine. Uh, and I was even more interested when he cites Alien as its primary inspiration because I was I was excited for this, but also like sort of, well, I'd been burned last year with The Northman, which just sort of turned out to be this like aggressive, historical, epic male power fantasy. But this actually sounds a lot more like, I don't know, nuanced and... and well thought out and, and quite meticulously put together. Um, and I was also disappointed to find out that I was going to go and see Consecration, which is about a woman who goes to investigate a remote uh, Scottish monastery after her priest brother was murdered. Um, and it sounds very sort of secrets and conspiracies and very sort of C.J. Sansom book. Um, but the one date that it was uh, available, which was Saturday the 11th at GFT, uh, looks like it's sold out now. Um, oh. So... That's a shame, but still planning on going to see The Origin. Good stuff. And The Origin is on on Saturday the 5th and Tuesday the 7th, both at the GFT. And I think the thing with these things, like, if you want to go and see Consecration, you or anyone else listening to this podcast, always just pop along at GFT and see if they've got anyone to return their tickets or anything. Mm. You might be, able to, might be able to squeeze Lewis in, yeah, <laughs> to, to find out all if about... If you're what, scalping a ticket, let me know. Yeah, 
Get him on Twitter. <laughs> he will find out what happened to this priest by hell or high water. Uh, Anahi, what else are you looking forward to? So, yeah, I'm also looking forward to... I'm away for most of GFF, I will say. Um, but I think I'm here for when It Happened One Night is doing its like retrospective screening, which is Thursday, this Thursday morning, I think. Um, so I might go through for that because I fucking love that film. Um, and then I'm also excited for... Um, not at GFF because I will not be able to see it, but in general. Uh, Rye Lane, which has been described as a kind of before sunrise, but set in Brixton, which I think sounds sick. Um, and then Chevalier, which is kind of looks like a Amadeus-y, Marie antoinette thing about like a rock star composer in the 18th, 17th, 18th century, um, who was the, I think it's like a true story um, about, yeah, Joseph Bologna. <laughs> who is the illegitimate son of an African slave, um, like enslaved person, a wealthy French plantation owner. And it just seems like it's cool vibes has Calvin Harrison Jr. in it, who is always great. Um, and then, yeah, I think that's all the films. I would also recommend if you're at GFF and just knocking around pizza at Paisano's, which is quite close, right? Yeah, it's like it's like in town. And like yeah, yeah. You'll, get, you'll get your pizza so quickly that you'll not be in any rush. Yeah, yeah. So I would recommend that too. Sweet. Chevalier okay. is on the 5th and the 6th, and Rye Lane is on the 12th. Oh, I'm here on the 12th. Of March. <gasps> Things are turning really around. Go. Oh my god. It's, okay. on, it's at like 4 o'clock. I think it's like an afternoon one. Oh, that's sick. Maybe I will go. Man. Okay. Things can change so much <laughs> in the blink of an eye. Um, I've also got a few things to recommend to you all. Uh, first up, I'm going to give you four words. German Art House Truman Show. Uh, that is the kind of rough plot synopsis of The Ordinaries. It's a film where life is one big production and society is kind of separated into different strata of main characters, extras and outtakes. And it's all about what your life would be like if you are trying to exist within this weird structure where everything is a film. There are musical numbers. It looks great. We couldn't get a screener in time for the podcast. That is on the <laughs> 2nd and the 3rd of March. Uh, Blackberry, I love, as you all know, Tech Gone Wrong stories, where nard hubris results in everyone going broke and or to jail. Uh, this looks slightly goofier than something like The Dropout, which was the one about the Theranos uh, fraud and eventual jailing of everyone, or WeWork, where Jared Leto played the WeWork guy who somehow managed to oh avoid, God, remember that. avoid spending time at whoever's pleasure you spend time at in America. Um, but this still looks like good fun. It's all about the kind of rise and fall of Research in Motion, who made the Blackberry. Uh, it has the guy, Jay Baruchel, who is the voice of the kid in How to Train Your Dragon. It also has Glenn Howerton from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia playing tech bros in the 80s and 90s. What a lovely time. So that's on, on the 3rd at the GFT and the 4th at Cineworld. I would also just recommend Falafel to Go. Uh, if you want some Falafel to Go around the corner from the GFT... Heard very good things about Mossob, the Ethiopian Eritrean place round by Queen Street Station. If you come out the side entrance and then go up the little staircase, Ooh. it's at the top of the little row there. Massive things of injera with loads of little bits on them. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. I didn't know we could do food recommendations. Well, we'll come back around to you in a second. You were literally in the office when we were talking about this. I suggested Falafel to go use laughed at me. Yeah, no. I know. <laughs> That's just what we do. You <laughs> stole my idea. <laughs> um... Pints, go to the State Bar, go to the Flying Duck, and uh, if you can't get into the band night that Jamie recommended at Sleazy's on the 9th, just have a white Russian upstairs and wait for enough people to leave that you can get in. <laughs> That's how I play the festival game. I recommend lots of food, I get drunk upstairs, 
Maybe I watch the film if I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, you got any food recommendations last minute? Yeah, okay. Well, I would say Falafel Go, very good. But also another healthy option is Non Viet, which is just along the corner. It does amazing pho, or pho, oh. I don't know how to say it. Delicious Vietnamese soup. Yummy. Um, also, if you want a drink, I would say go to Scaramango. A Scaramango. No, yes, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, the beers are so cheap, but also it's like basically, um, because the GFF doesn't have a bar anymore, that's kind of become the kind of like hangout for people. So if you find yourself at a loose end after a film, head on there. You'll probably see some filmmakers, some critics, some cool people. You can chat about movies. You'll have a great time. <laughs> some of those you are can, not yeah. the same yeah. thing. You yeah. might see me, Jamie Dunn, in Saramago. It's upstairs in the CCA. Look out for your man, yep. Jamie Dunn. I'll be standing <laughs> of falafeling for and yeah. have lots of opinions and films. Covered, covered in chickpeas, cheap pints all around. The Glasgow Film Festival, everybody. <laughs> so yeah, GFF runs from the 1st to the 12th of March. Uh, you can get all the info on all these films we just talked about and get tickets, etc., etc. at glasgowfilm.org. Uh, and you can follow them on socials. I think they're on Glasgow Film Fest at everything. They've done that good thing where they have the same handle on everything. Yeah. Top lads, good work. Um, so yeah, I think that's everything from us, from this GFF special recording at Upload. Thanks to Josh, uploadstudios.co.uk. Uh, thanks, Anna Heat. Thank you. Thank you, Lewis. Thank you. Thanks, Jamie. Cheers, Pierre. And uh, yeah, thank you from me. We'll be back in two weeks. Enjoy Glasgow Film Festival, everyone. And if you go to the Saramago, tell them Jamie Dunn sent you. <laughs> <laughs> Do I make a free pay out of that? <laughs> <laughs>